Welcome to The Rise After the Fall. And today we're gonna be talking about weariness and how when you're weary, it takes a toll. Decisions we make or don't make when we're weary and what it looks like and how to prevent it. So all things weary. I don't think anyone would think this is not a time I'm struggling with that, right? Right. Maybe when you're on vacation. Which That's take, when a yeah. lot of people might come back and resign from a position. They go on vacation and think, Facts. I want out of what I just have to come home to. I think in our American culture, we take a lot less vacations, which is so detrimental because it takes you 50 to 75% of your vacation to start taking a vacation. And many people who take vacations don't take vacations free of distractions. Mm-hmm. Remember we took a sabbatical a few years ago. Remember I said the other day, I said, remember, did we take three months off? You said, no. It, it was, was one month. One month. But it felt that refreshing. Yes. And the idea that I didn't bring my phone. You got a flip phone. I did. And obviously you weren't going to T9 text. <laughs> and so you basically had it for emergencies. I didn't, I turned my, I think I left my phone like, at home. I think so. You did too. And we were off the grid, but it took a, f- a week of that month mm-hmm. to feel like I'm decompressing and my brain can literally just, I could just look out the window. I could just read yeah, and not check my phone every 30 seconds. Yeah. For the first few days, it was like, what do I do while I'm standing in this line? <laughs> yeah. You'd look or down at, at your hand. Light. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do that scary. But how many of us do You check do your phone at the stop sign. Absolutely. Literally. It's terrible. Well, and to your point, in America, a vacation for us is like six to seven days. Right. It's not even two weeks. So if it takes 50 to 75% of the time to decompress, you're at the end of your week. If you could take two weeks and take the first week to just turn off and the second week to actually enjoy it. But yes, it, talk about that. In the European culture, there's lots of holidays. Yeah. as not, We're not talking... Veterans Day and Valentine's Day. We're not, you know, we're, that's their word for vacation. Our son, Isaiah, and I were just in Canada. He was visiting some colleges and we went to the first school and they said, well, we don't know how many people are going to be available because it's family day. And what I thought they meant is that that was a day where families came to the campus to visit their students. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. It's a holiday. A, it was a fiscal holiday. Banks were closed. Businesses were closed. The shopping mall closed early. And it's just a Canadian holiday, civic holiday. It's called Family Day. And I asked, well, it's only like three years old. And they said, oh, it's because we didn't have a holiday in February. So we needed to add a holiday to this month. So I'm sure not every month, but the way that they pitched it to me is that basically every month there's some sort of a holiday, like, and it's not a week long, but it's one day that they take. And so everybody, for the most part, got to take the day off of work. Mm. And I thought, this is interesting. And they just called it what it was, family day. What's the purpose? Just spend time with your family. And so I think about the number of people who take a vacation And within a few days are sick. Mm -hmm. Their body catches up to them. Mm -hmm. And so if your body is storing that, think about never taking the time to let that 
be processed from your body. And and from the first, I mean, in Jewish times, there was a Sabbath. In right. fact, uh, the the Israelites were told, do not work on the seventh day. Yep. And they gathered extra on, on the day before the Sabbath because they just knew if I can't work, they're forcing me to not work. Then I got to double, get a double portion and work extra hard. Sounds a little like the American dream mindset, right? Like, well, then I'll just store it up because I can't really trust God. And that this isn't really going to work that I'm just going to shut off for a day. Sounds like leading, it, leading into Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then it's, and then their food though spoiled. Right. And they were, they were shown that, no, you need to trust God for the Sabbath. So it's interesting, Canada, a post-Christian country, sees the value in taking time off because we're not just following the biblical path, which was take a Sabbath. Uh, in Israel and parts of New York, where there's a, a big Jewish population, there's Sabbath mode on the elevators. Yeah, it's so sick. That the elevator, you don't even have to push the button. It goes up one floor at a time automatically. It's in Sabbath mode uh, and comes down one at a time. That you, there's ovens, they go into Sabbath mode. So sick. And and it's so great because it reminds them rest. And Becky says this our journey to wholeness director. We and she says it a lot because she has to tell herself it a lot. She said, uh, we need to work from our rest rather than rest from our work. Yeah. And it is a badge of honor, specifically in America, to say, I just work my tail off. And we have people encouraging that. Like, if you want to build something great you got to hustle. And that's become like this badge of honor. So let's talk about how this affects not just leaders and pastors, although it does, and we have some examples today of people getting to a place of weariness and they didn't get there by they're just low capacity and they got weary. High capacity people who just thought they didn't need to use a pause button right. in their life. Well, there's a difference between fatigue and weariness if you don't recognize what those warning signs are, you'll intermingle the two. And you'll think you're just tired, but you're really weary. And weariness is a dangerous state to be in because you never make good decisions while you're weary. You actually don't really make good decisions while you're tired either. So when we start talking about people who burn the candle at both ends, at some point you run out of wick mm -hmm. and you have to reset. And whether that's taking a day off, I mean. That's a prevention right. way of doing it. <laughs> Most people aren't good at even taking days off. Mm -hmm. And particularly people in the ministry who somewhere along the line developed the attitude that they were there to serve people rather than serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so because they are busy serving people rather than serving the Lord, they work themselves into a state where they're no good for the people that they're supposed to be serving. And so then they end up angry at them and they end up leaving a place or resigning, leaving the ministry. 37% of pastors left the ministry last year. I read that the other day. That's from Barna. Mm. That's scary. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people we're putting into the ministry every year. I hear that's way lower than it's ever been. And I wonder how many of those people it's because they were weary. Mm. They're, certainly COVID had an effect on that. We didn't slow down in COVID. I felt like we were more busy. Especially when we weren't in the building. Yes. 
well, we felt like we needed to produce more content mm -hmm. because we wanted to either post it on our website or put it on some sort of a network platform. And yet, people didn't have that content when we were live in the building. It, it was just that idea where we feel like we have to overcompensate for things. I've been weary. I've never made good decisions while I was weary. But I've also been tired and I've, I've learned better how to recognize the difference between the two. And so one of the things that I got from you that has been super helpful to me is you listened to Craig Groeschel on the Carrie Newhoff podcast. And, or is the other way around. Carrie Newhoff was on the Craig Groeschel podcast because he was talking about his new book. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about his book where he talked about zones mm -hmm. that you work in, that every person has zones that they need to identify. And for him, oh, I mean, he's, he calls it- At your best is the book. Yes, mm -hmm. at your best. And he calls it your green zone. And he, he gave some examples of what his green zone is and Craig gave some examples of what his is. And I, I recognized that I work really well in the morning. But in the afternoon, I kind of hit a wall. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I also recognize that first thing in the morning, like six o'clock till eight o'clock isn't good for me to try to work because I feel a little bit of old school guilt in that because I feel like I should be giving God my first. And so when I wake up, I try to give that at least that first hour to the Lord. And I have a place that I go. I mean, it's in our home for the most part, but I have a place that I go and a prayer journal that I write in. I make the same coffee. I have a routine. And when I'm, when I'm done, then I, I feel like I can start to work. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I feel like, like six to eight is really a good time for me to spend in contemplation. And if I don't do that, I know that it affects the rest of my day. So I'm telling all these things because these are things that help me ward off weariness. And you begin to work from your yes. rest. Yeah. And you just said it's about a two hour. What's a tithe or a 10% of our day? Yeah, you're right. I never even thought about that. Funny how the first fruits works. Yeah, right? yeah. So then you've learned. So then I've learned from like, Eight until two is really my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And I, I do notice that when I start to get near two, I start to get tired. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I set aside very, I turn my phone off. I text you guys. We have a family group chat. I text you guys. And I say, I'm turning my phone off. I love you. I love you. Which yeah. is our way of hearing don't Dad doesn't hate us. He's yeah. not ignoring. He just needs yes. time. Yes. And so then I work pretty solid until two. And then I know that there's certain things that recharge me. I have a couple of shows that I watch, that I stream. I really love movies. And so sometimes at two o'clock in the afternoon, I'll take an hour and I'll watch a show. And then, you know, honestly, I could work again. Hmm. I could, it's just been one hour. And it's like, I turn my brain off. But what I have noticed is that there are times, typically when I have to shut myself off at two, 
like where I go, okay, it's two o'clock. I'm shutting her down mm. because I know, okay, can I still be productive past two o'clock? Absolutely. But am I as productive? No, I'm not. I'm in You're my in yellow, yellow zone, zone. right? Mm-hmm. So then I have to force myself to st- I just stop at two o'clock no matter what. Uh, but then there's other times where like at 1.15, I'm dragging, man. And I go, no, I got, I'm going to work until two mm. because I got, I got 45 more minutes. If I can't push through for 45 more minutes and I've given myself something to look forward to, mm. I know that I'm going to do this or I've downloaded this on my iPad. And so it, it's helped as I've done it. And I've only done it for two months, maybe, if I'm not mistaken. But what it's done is it has raised the level of my productivity, but it has also lowered the level of my stress Mm. and my weariness. Mm -hmm. Because I don't go like at two o'clock, I'm tired at two o'clock. I don't know. Maybe somebody else isn't tired at two o'clock, but I'm, I'm getting old and I wake up early. Mm -hmm. So by two o'clock, I'm like, my, my brain doesn't want to work at two o'clock. But here's what I also know. If I were to just get off and go home, then I'm also not in a place where I'm wound down and I can be productive at a family dinner or whatever. So now from two o'clock to like, say four o'clock, if I'm focused just on doing some stuff that's refreshing or recharging to me, then by the time I get around other people, okay, cool. Like I've, like I've done all the work. I've spent my time with the Lord. I've worked as hard as I can work. I've let myself kind of uh, reboot, I guess, if you would. And now, okay, so now if, if we're going to have dinner together or we're going to have a conversation about something significant, well, I'm not thinking about, man, I just worked all day because I didn't work all day. But mm-hmm. I, I, was vi- I was more productive in the green zone than I was when I was working from eight o'clock in the morning until six o'clock at night, which was very common. Mm-hmm. And so now if people can figure out, and I want to give, I mean, I don't know Carrie Newhoff, never met him. That was literally the first time I'd ever heard Kerry Newhoff speak. And I was like, no wonder this guy is a giant on the internet. Just that one nugget was so much gold to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think about the people who we know who are so bottled up in what they think are their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And these things are like, I remember when, and some of this is they were journey moments for me because I remember when we first got into ministry, you know, my dad, my dad worked on the assembly line at Ford my whole life. He retired from Ford and on the assembly line, it's just like you're locked in for like eight or 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, you're like eight or 12 hours a day sounds like I'm really doing my job. For sure. At least eight hours. Mm -hmm. That mentality. When I first got into ministry, my first youth pastorate in Memphis, I remember my dad calling me on the phone, which never happened. Like, I don't remember him ever calling me before that. And he was just sitting around thinking and wondering what it is I do all day. And I remember him asking me that and me going, he goes, hey, what is it that a pastor does all day? And it was, I wasn't able to answer that question. And I was so convicted by that. I mean, there was a ton of stuff that I did all day, but I wasn't very structured about it. So because of that, I think I was spinning my wheels. I was running on a, like, a tre- like a metaphorical treadmill. But I also think as much as that convicted you so you made some adjustments and made it more structured, I think that was also a journey moment, which now we're almost 
that's probably 23 years ago. Yeah. And and here's the thing about those moments, those traumas or those phrases that can, even as an adult, we can hear it. And I I think that became a moment that you had to journey through. And maybe the Carrie Newhoff at your best was the journeying point, the saying my brain works differently and I don't have to work 12 hours to say I earn my paycheck. Right. And you were always trying to earn your paycheck well, that you weren't jipping the system or the, <laughs> Absolutely. the pay, who's paying payroll. And so you felt that it was a nine to 12 hour day to really feel like you did something and what you found out. But here's the other thing about a pastor. So we know that you're then in the red zone after eight. You said it in church in your sermon today. Yep. You get a lazy eye. I do. I know that, I mean, you can be looking at me and yet the next day I can say something and you you don't remember me saying it. But I saw your <laughs> eyeballs looking at me as I told you. After eight o'clock, it's a wrap. Why? Because you're up between four and 6 a.m. Right. And so you're shutting down by then. But if you can turn off by two, get refreshed, and then we have a dinner, I know don't schedule that dinner for seven. Right. It's better we schedule it at six or at 5.30 so that you're, you might not be in the green zone, but can you not be in the red zone while we're with, because as pastors, uh, you have responsibilities. We're going to lunch. It's not a responsibility, but we're going to lunch with a couple from our church today at 1.30 on a Sunday. We're not going home to take a nap. There's right. times where it's not fitting within a nine to five Monday through fi Friday life. And so pastors get weary. And what, what happens is not only com comments like your dad made that other pastors have heard, I'm sure. Like, what is it you do? That yeah. sounds like a pretty passive job. And I think we do know we have it good. Like we get to be event planners and we get to get paid to bring people to Jesus. Like yeah. it is a gift. It's a blessing. So then, you know, the enemy doesn't come after our thoughts and come after us with, hey, it's the devil here. I'm going to say something really mean. No, the devil can come to us as he did Eve, like in a question, in a, is that really what God said? And, and so he can come to us and we can come to ourselves with, am I really doing that much work? Is my job really that hard? So then if I'm asked to do something five nights a week and I know it's for the good of the people in my church, it's for the good of their salvation and their further discipleship, we can literally get to a point where we don't say no to anyone or anything. And, you know, I think it was a big reset in the pandemic mm -hmm. that everyone was locked in their house, including pastors and leaders and presidents of companies to look at their kids and their kids to open up and say, hey, let me be honest with you. I mean, I only see you one hour a day typically, but now I'm seeing you all day, every day. And remember in the beginning, we're playing games and playing Frisbee football. Yeah. And, you know, we, we did all the thing and the things in the first week or two. And then our kids started to open up to us and started to say stuff like, yeah, this is awesome, but like... We know this isn't going to last or right. what happens when You're you gonna go back to others. work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've known people that have fallen and they for sure were in weariness. And there were some outward signs. We've seen people who have had moral failures where they've actually had sex with someone, not their spouse, and they were a pastor. Yep. But they were at their heaviest. Their skin looked bad. Mm. Their weight had ballooned. Yep. Or we've seen some, they got really, really skinny or really, really muscular. And it was like, they're like, you can tell when someone's obsessed with one thing or the other, right? It's right. like a big, 
weight gain or maybe a big weight loss, there's some outward signs. For sure. And so then when it happened or comments that were made or, you know, you'd see them getting aggressive in the pulpit, yelling more, getting more angry. And then you hear, oh my gosh, did you hear? Hmm. Someone got caught or their wife found their phone. And so we've seen that and not one of them, not one that I can think of, because you always look it up and read the background. Not one of them had had an easy peasy year or season leading into that. Right. So it's not to blame the season and the weariness, but it's to know when you're weary, you begin to make very poor decisions. What's particularly difficult when you're in a season of growth, it's interesting how many people from churches that are thriving end up having a failure. And you go, Mm. God, it was going so good. But the problem is it was going so good. And so when it's going really good, you don't want to take your foot off the gas. You don't want to let another speaker come. You don't want to take a Sunday. I've been there where you're, you're like, bro, I can't, I can't not speak because we're cracking right now. And there's people coming every week and there's people getting saved. But here's the thing. If I don't pace myself, it, it can't last. Mm. It's interesting because you, you shared another thing with me that you had heard on a podcast where you really can only be wildly effective at anything for 10 years at a time. Mm. I shared that with a friend of mine this week and he was like, bro. And I said, it does not like you have to leave somewhere. You just have to figure out how to recreate yourself every 10 years. So, Or whether, your systems. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Like if you're recreating the way you do ministry or because we're coming up on 10 years mm-hmm. and I'm not going to do ministry the same way I've done it the first 10 years or mm-hmm. I'll burn out. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I look back on the last 10 years and I have loved it. It's been amazing. It's been intoxicating to see, I mean, take away the pandemic, obviously, but to see thousands of people get saved. Mass amounts of people get saved and people get baptized and marrying people and dedicating their kids and all of that stuff is amazing. But in the midst of that, it's so infrequent that you pause. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in our undergrad and- I think it was my sophomore year, maybe your freshman year. There was a gentleman who was brought bef- before the student body to ask us as students if we would be okay if this person came to be a professor at our school. He had had, his wife had left mm. him and and he had been the head of the Bible department at a really big seminary and was brilliant and had, I think a couple of earned doctorates and they brought it to a bunch of 18 and 19 year old kids. And they were like, Hey, this dude had this and his wife ditched out. He hasn't remarried. So it's okay. It's okay. And I won't say his name, but uh, I think he was, I mean, he wasn't there for very long, but I remember in the first class that I took with him, he said a line that has just like blown my mind. He said, if you never say no, it makes your yes mean less. And it seems so cliche. It seems like a little trite line, but I've never forgot that line. Mm -hmm. And in the times when I have refused to say no, then, you know, I just, I need to say the right yes. There are are yeses that I shouldn't be saying. Mm -hmm. And by nature, I think a lot of people who are in ministry are people pleasers by nature. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to say no. Hey, can you do my wedding? And you don't want to do it. And remember, I did a series, I think it was in 
the series I did, the five, where I just said, hey, there's some things I don't want to do. So if you ask I don't me to help do you it, move. Yeah, I'm not going to help you move. I don't want to come over for dinner. It's no offense. It's not that I don't like you. I don't get to have dinner with my own family often enough mm-hmm. that I want to take a night out and come to dinner. I can't come to all your graduations. Mm-hmm. Can't come to all your ball games. I'm going to all my son's ball mm-hmm. games. And if your son's on his team, then guess what? I'm going to go to all his ball we games. We didn't even help our sister, your sister-in-law and brother-in-law move. They didn't even ask because they heard that sermon. But I mean, would we help family? Sure. We wouldn't want yeah. to. They didn't help us change houses. <laughs> because, yeah, because my brother-in-law's like, nope. Nope. He's learned that. That's yes. his line. Nope. Uh you brought up the five, which the five series, and really, if we could couple the five priorities, mm-hmm. which I want to talk about in a second, with what you just said, that it requires a no. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> okay, that <laughs> kind of blew my point. Great segue. It requires a no. Because I think we talk about our five, and I, I wonder if people are like, but how do you do that? How do you get there? We say no a lot. So, for instance, and I'm going to run through this for the people who haven't heard this, uh, our five priorities. You preach this the first year in the first building of the three buildings we've been in, and you've re-preached it in a couple different, and we tend to talk about it all the time. Five priorities. First is God, my relationship with God. Second is me, because if I'm not good, I'm not good for anyone. And that is not selfish because my kids are not more important than me and my husband's not more important than me. So me, God, then me, then my spouse, because yes, your spouse is more important than your kids. Now, the only caveat is if you have kids, you're divorced and there's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a stepmom, stepdad, that flips that. And that needs to be very clear. Yeah, good asterisk. Yes. So then, so God, me, spouse, kids, family. Yep. In that five, as a pastor, where does the church fall? It doesn't fall in the five. Do you remember when you preached that in the first building? Oh, oh my boy. gosh. You thought, I thought people were going to stand up, throw down their Bible, and walk out because you could feel. The air was taken out of the room. Yes. But because I did it was say, a small church, and yeah. it was like, of course these people are coming in to be at our every ball game, coffee date, come to my every fundraiser. I mean, we, they could tell. We, there's only 80 of us. And these people are fresh and they want to grow this church. Yep. So I will have them. And we did. We had people who didn't ask us to come to their house for dinner. They told us, hey, I want to have you over tomorrow night. I'm going to have blah, blah, blah. And we're like, okay. Because a lot of times Christians, now I'm just going to go there. Go ahead. A lot of times Christians, especially Christians who come from other churches, they come to your smaller church because they don't get to tell you or the last pastor any longer hey, yeah, let's do coffee tomorrow. I'll meet you there. Like they don't get to force their way into your five priorities because they realize this church is growing and there's a lot of needs and there's a lot of people asking for this. So they go to a smaller church and I know I'm putting the people out there and and we, we can bash on pastors and we will and we will be honest about pastors and pastors making dumb mistakes. Um, but you know, we we early on, that was the hardest time you ever preached the message about the five. Right. Because as we got bigger and people realized there's a lot of people here and there's a lot of people they're pastoring, there was less of a shock that they're probably number six on our list. And how do we get to our five and keep them? We say no. Yeah. We say no to our kids when we need some time, which they hate. They, what, what? Can you come in my room? No, your mom and I are spending time together. 
they, they hate the no. And, and people hate, my, my family, we quit going to Christmas at your or my family. Why? Because they don't, they don't trump our kids and our stocking right. time and our gift time. We're not gonna come across the country to be with you because we have created our own family tradition. We'll come to you on the 26th. Exactly. That's a no yeah. because you don't make the top four, but you're number five. So I'll come to you before I'm gonna go to, to the Bahamas with a friend's ha- with a friend. Yeah. You're like, well, maybe, maybe we'll do that. Maybe too. We'll put Bahamas That's putting five. self first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or second. Because this Christmas we we didn't stay home. Yeah, we, we did go on a cruise had, after yeah. Christmas. <laughs> on Christmas. On Christmas. On Christmas. And our, I think our kids loved that. Yeah. And it's because it showed our kids that it used to be when we're in the church world and we've had to we've had to break down some walls. And you know what? There's been people who don't like it. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't only want to do this for a couple of years. I want to be in the ministry till the day I die. Right. God called me to this. I didn't choose to be in the pastoral ministry. This chose me. God chose me to be a part of this. And so if I'm going to do it long-term... I can't do, and and other churches do this and more power to them. But I've discovered that the way that I'm wired is I can't do 17 Christmas services. Mm. I can't do it. Otherwise, I don't like Christmas. Christmas, it's the most wonderful time of the year unless you have 17 services. Mm -hmm. And you're doing that because you feel like you, and I'm not saying that, that they do that. I'm saying if I did that, I would feel like I was only doing that because I felt like I was supposed to do that because somebody else was doing that. But I don't feel the need to do that. Like we're not doing a live Good Friday service this year. We're going to do it online. Okay. And there's going to be people that are going to find another church to go to to do a Good Friday service. But you want to know what I know? I didn't feel like the Lord wanted me to do it. Mm-hmm. We don't do Ash Wednesday. We could do that because our city does that. Yeah. We don't do it. So if I don't yeah. feel like I'm aligned with what God's designed me to do with my life, then suddenly I'm trying to live in someone else's skin and I can't live in that skin. And so when that happens, I become weary mm. and it wears me down. And and here's the thing, people in their in their good intentions will wear you down. And you just have to say, stop. Mm-hmm. Like think about a shepherd, which we're under shepherds. He is the good shepherd. We're his under shepherds. And an under shepherd, incidentally, learned to imitate the voice of the shepherd so that when the shepherd had to leave, the sheep didn't feel like the shepherd was gone. They, The under shepherd sounded like the shepherd. He imitated the shepherd. Jesus took time away. He said no to his disciples. He mm-hmm. looked at dudes and was like, bro, you feed them. Like, hey, what are we going to feed all these guys? Bro, I don't know. Go to Quick Trip. Go to Bucky's. Get them something and feed it. Is there any food around here? Does anybody have anything that we can spread? I'll help in the process, but you know that I'm not the one that's responsible for everything. And so this idea of having to do what everybody else does, I, it's it's not going to work for me. And so if you think about being a shepherd and being out in a sheep, in a sheep pasture, which you know very well because you come from the center of the nation and you have a bunch of sheep ranchers in your background. One of the things that I noticed about sheep in my time out there is that they they bleat all the time. Like all the time. All the time. That was not a sound effect. That was me. It's very good. And one of the things that they do is they, they bleat and they butt. Mm-hmm. 
And they're always putting their nose. I have a dog that butts all the time. Mm-hmm. Like my dog Moses, he's a chocolate lab. And it's constant. If you are stationary. If you're texting, oh my he God, takes your texting sure. hand and nudges your Puts hand Puts his off. nose yep. under it. He wants attention. Mm-hmm. And that's what sheep do. Well, as the shepherd, it's not my responsibility to pet one sheep all the time. Mm. It's at some point, you got to put distance between you and that selfish sheep. And it's not that the sheep is mean or nasty or ugly or has bad intentions. It's a sheep who wants to bleat and butt and they just Mm. want to put their nose on you. Why? Because they love you and because they want your attention. (laughs) And then the sheep gets, and don't lose your train of thought, but I don't want to lose this. Then the sheep gets wise and sends you an email and quotes the scripture, (laughs) leave the 99 for the one. And that gets taken out of context. Okay. For sure. Go on. I just think that they get mad when you don't, when you don't pet them or pay, pay attention, attention to them. And so then they're going to go find another field. Mm-hmm. But here's the deal. Let them go. Mm-hmm. I don't have the energy to take myself out of my calling and do what you want me to do. But as pastors, we become people pleasers. And so I I look at this concept of weariness and I go, okay, let's start to recognize the warning signs. You're starting to get tired. Mm -hmm. You're starting to get agitated. Mm -hmm. You are starting to become opinionated in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. Mm -hmm. You become, you're just, you're so frustrated by things Mm -hmm. and you're frustrated by people. Mm -hmm. And it starts out with the people who are really close to you. And so you start being rude to your wife and then you start being dismissive to your kids and then your parents and your friends and the people who are in your five, Mm -hmm. you start to treat them like they're a foregone conclusion in your life. Mm -hmm. And so when those things start to happen, you got to start to tell yourself, I'm not doing this because of anything other than I'm becoming weary. Mm -hmm. And if you don't ward that off, then suddenly you're on a path to destruction and too many guys don't ward that off. And whether it's because they want their church to keep growing or they want to keep a position or a job. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But would I rather would I rather grow every year? I heard about a church that used to be the fastest growing church in America, and I won't say the name of it because the pastor failed. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't keep up with the pace. But then I've heard about a, another church that they've never been on the fastest growing list, but they're in the hundred largest churches in America. Wow. And they've never grown more than 20% per year, ever, like from the first year. I mean, when you look at Church of the Highlands with Chris Hodges, it's- I mean, They haven't the, doubled. It is the cream of the right. crop of churches. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how it was years before they broke 400. Mm-hmm. Now there's 60,000. 70,000 people now. Mm -hmm. And so do I want to grow really fast? Here's the thing. The faster you grow too, the faster you shrink Mm -hmm. because you get these growing pains among people and suddenly people get mad because you don't have time for them and you don't notice they're bleeding and they're budding and so they leave. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have to have such a huge front door to be able to make up for the back door. And so these churches that they just build systems and structures and they have put in place to disciple people and have their disciples disciple people. And like Jesus didn't disciple the 500 people who followed him. He discipled 12 and he really Mm -hmm. hung out with three and then he had one. 
Although the guy wrote it himself, he's the disciple that Jesus loved. And so obviously there were levels even within the disciples that Jesus had of relationships. And I mean, he's the savior of the world. And he left and handed it over to them. <laughs> he handed it over. He was not, he was celebrity. How can you not be oh, celebrity when you're healing people? Right. And people are like, who is this man? But then he just said, I'll leave the Holy Spirit with you and I'm out. Yep. I'll see you when I come back. It'll I'm gonna be go, soon. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Yeah. And now I need you guys to go build the church. Yeah. It is definitely taking the celebrity out and saying other people can do this. Kind of to wrap it up, and if you have closing thoughts after me, cool. But to wrap it up, as as you were just talking, I thought about we get weary because we have a fear of man and not a fear of God. And eventually that weariness grows to a point we even lose a fear of God. So good. I want to repeat that. We start out growing weary because we have a fear of man, not fear of God. And the more weary we get, it wears down our fear of God. And this is the enemy's systematic dismantling of you so that when you find reprieve and you find affection and you find some relief in the text from someone not your spouse or from taking from the petty cash, if that's the downfall. Or we've known a pastor who he built an entire cabin on a lake with the money from the church. There was no, that was a bonus and he was taxed. It was just straight up, I'm gonna go build myself a cabin. That stuff comes back to bite you. And really what would have stopped that? Yeah, you wanted relief from just going and going. You got all this fear, man. You're keeping everybody happy, so you're weary. So you go and you get a cabin to make yourself feel better. And what could have caught you is a fear of God to go, nobody knows this but God, and I'm convicted. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe that's the formula. Maybe that's the formula because fear of man's never gotten anybody ahead and the Bible warns about it. Yep. Said if you're heavy laden, just bring it hand it to me. Mm -hmm. And so if you're listening to this and you're tired or you're weary, then find somebody and be honest with them. And if you don't have anybody in your life, just reach out to us. Reach out to us. We love you. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, And so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center 
is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Whew. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, they gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And the, someone had had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we got, had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.